You are listening to the Geeks Radio Internet Radio Network at geeksradio.com, home of Trek Off, the Not Safe for Work Star Trek podcast, Pop Off, where we geek out on comics, movies, and TV shows that are the superstars of geek culture, Podcast Who, the Doctor Who podcast with Phil Stamper, Ninjas vs. You, the official podcast of the Ninjas vs. Trilogy, and Garrett and RJ Go Hollywood, two regular guys trying to make it in Tinseltown. All of this is available for you for free by going to geeksradio.com or searching Geeks Radio on iTunes. Geeks Radio is a presentation of Endlight Entertainment. Warning, the episode you're about to listen to may include plot spoilers and naughty language, so listener discretion is advised. It's time for Trek Off! Benedict Cumberballs! Welcome to Trek Off, my name is Justin. Yeah, my name is Alexia. Grrr! Yeah? <laughs> oh, yeah? Can't talk about it. Can't talk about it. Um, <laughs> I thought I'd start with Gar. With Gar. And tonight, uh, <laughs> we're talking about the last section of the first season of the original. Like, can we really draw it out any further? Yes, now, because it's awesome. Part of our 19-part series about <laughs> the third section of the original series. Of the first part of the first episode of the first series of the Star Trek. We have a very, very special 19-part episode. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like not even. It's like not like. Like I get it that we like we've done you know we're coming up on I think we're episode ninety something right now in terms of Trek Off, so we will eventually. Uh, well, we've already passed more episodes of Trek Off than there were of the original series. That's um, true. Yeah. Uh, and and given that our episodes are so long, sometimes far more hours of Trek Off than there was of the original series. So granted, we talk we are like a derivative of a derivative of a derivative. Derivative of a derivative. Um. But that being said, just saying, the third part of our overview of the first season <laughs> of the original series of Star Trek, it just, it sounds so specific. <laughs> Hello, today we will be discussing <laughs> minutes 21 to 23 of the pilot of Star Trek. Of the pilot of Star Trek. I in, particularly this, in this very taut section... <laughs> I particularly, I particularly like the way that the camera moved exactly two inches to the left. One I know, that was my favorite. Or the way the light hit the camera's lens just so at, at about 23.5 minutes in. Alexia, I'm sorry, you're, you're getting a little bit too excited for our broadcast. I'm now, sorry, I can't, I can't help it. Let us continue our frame-by-frame -frame analysis of all five series. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to frame 23. <laughs> This is a very interesting frame because it was colored after the fact. A few people know this, but this is a lost frame. That's a lost that, frame. It was re-entered. It was re-entered re when they did the Blu-ray. <laughs> Denise Okuda, his quote is, is saying, this was my favorite frame of the three frames I worked on. Like <laughs> Michael Okuda I'm said... I'm so happy that it's back in. It, it Mike, feels so much more complete with frame Mike, 23. Michael Okuda said... I would really, really like to keep working for Star Trek in any capacity I can. Now, you know, it's not fair. Let me let me give it up for Michael and Denise Okuda. The keeper of the destroyed original continuity um, are those two. They they have overseen the the. You know who those guys are? You know yeah. the the Okuda. So 
they wrote like the the history of the future. They they and Michael Sternbeck worked together on the technical manuals. They designed the whole uh, next gen computer console thing. Like when oh. you you know you know when you see like a like a clearly next gen era Federation computer console it has that little bar that's over there and they push little buttons on it and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like that is that is Mike Okuda's design. But see. Um, but since JJ took over the franchise, he's been the one overseeing the the Blu-rays and the remasters and stuff. So really, so so I tease Mr. Okuda, you are a champion of the greatest show of all time. So pardon my teasing, because you're awesome. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I've started watching this new TV show, uh, starring Bilbo Baggins and Smog. Um, <laughs> In which, interestingly, they don't walk around and try and trick each other over a pile of gold. No. Um, um, but much like that, uh, Smog is larger than life and moves very quickly while, while Bilbo walks around and offers Smog compliments because of how grand Smog is and yet at the same time looks kind of bumbling and befuddled. But underneath, it's kind of a cool adventurer. Um, <laughs> I call it... Uh, I call it Sherlock, the Desolation of Smog. <laughs> Sherlock, the Desolation of Smog. Nice. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's 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 Khan, the that's <clears throat> the Desolation of Khan. Um, it. I was I like when I saw the show. There are times, uh, and we'll talk about it because you you've seen all of it, right? You've seen Sherlock. I have. I, I haven't watched. I know that season three has started, but I have no way of watching the new season. So am I? Am I wrong? Uh, each season's three episodes. Yes. That's weird. I know, That's right? Cool. It makes me so um, sad because, like, I mean, because each episode though is like a like a movie length. It's like an hour. It's and a movie, half. yeah. Like they, this could have been a series of films. Yes. Like absolutely could have been a series of films. I um I do have to admit that occasionally. Um, when Sherlock gets serious and starts talking like this, and Watson's like, "Yes, yeah, I I do see Bilbo and Smog. I absolutely see Bilbo <laughs> and Smog talking when they're talking." And it's so weird that like they are now connected to each other in two big way, like like well after Sherlock is forgotten, right? In 20 years, when nobody's watching Sherlock anymore, and people are like, "Oh, like the way that we think of Lost now." Like, oh, Lost was a good show. I remember that show. You know, but it's like when Sherlock is I gone. I think Sherlock has much more staying power than Lost. Than Lost? Lost was yeah. a cultural phenomenon at the time. I, I understand that, but it wasn't as good. <laughs> like, not actually. It was a phenomenon. That's arguable. That's not the same I, thing. You know what I mean? I am, I am more invested in Lost than I am, <clears throat> am in Sherlock. Sherlock is a little, still a little emotionally distant for me. It's really entertaining. Super entertaining, but I am not as riveted as I was by Lost. Really? Yeah, lost from the, like the third episode. I was weeping. Did, will Sherlock make me weep ever? It should. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there, so there, so eventually that thing that I like will happen. Eventually yeah. there will be times when I go when I go. Oh no 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 not that. That's so sad. I love it. Yeah. That's good. I'm speaking of that. Have <clears throat> you are you caught up on Agents of Shield? Uh, I don't think so. I think I'm on like episode eight, maybe maybe nine. Um. It's so I don't good. Think I, I think I'm a couple behind, but it got really know. good. It, got it did really get like good. I mean, it got better, and I think they started to do some of the shit that I was like, "This is what you need to do. Like, you need to have more of, you know, the cool chick and less of the one we don't like." Um, well, here's the thing: the only one I guy nobody likes. I I like Sky now. The only one I don't like is the only one I don't like is the Asian is is May. How can you um, not like May? She's like the only one that's awesome. 
How can you not <laughs> like her? How could you not like that conversation between her and Coulson when she literally, in the entire scene, doesn't say a word? Here's but the yet thing. they have a whole conversation. It's fucking awesome. I She's like awesome. her. I like her as written. I'm not loving her as performed. Wow, really? Like, that's how I feel about Sky. Like, I don't necessarily hate how she's written. I just don't like the actress, like, at all. See, and I feel and like I, I felt that way about the actress. Um, and I felt that way a lot about Agent Ward, actually. I definitely the, feel that way about him, yeah. He's gotten a little bit better. As like, soon as he had, like, had to face the rage, uh, spoilers for S.H.I.E.L.D., which I guess we shouldn't talk about too much because, you know, but there was an episode where he has to get ragey, and you see why, and he shows a level of acting that I didn't know he had. Um, Interesting. Um, I just—I've always liked Fitz and Simmons because they're cute to me. I know a lot uh, of people didn't like them, but oh, I always I, thought they were adorable. They're my favorites. I'm wondering which one of them they're going to kill and break my heart. Um, I know. Fuck you. Yeah, but here's the thing: I'm—they've made me think over the course of the series already that one is going to die, and/or then that the other one was going to die. And in both situations, I was like, ah, okay, good, okay, and. You know, everybody on that show is in peril at one point or another, and only when it was one of them was I like, ah, like, cause yeah, I'm like I wouldn't care so much. I would I, the only people I would care if they died would would be one of them, or May because I really like May. Um, I it would be you really have to sell me. me on her being able to die though because she's pretty fucking badass. Um, or Coulson, like those are the only ones that like I might be a little upset if Ward died, maybe. Um, I was so upset with Coulson. I was so upset with the series handling of Coulson in that I loved him so much from the from the Avengers movies and I felt like he wasn't doing anything for me on the show. I mean nothing. He was doing nothing for me on the show. And really, and the, I always the like, from the very beginning I thought he was the the one thing that was still great. In the episodes you <clears> haven't <throat> seen, um you will if you like him now you'll love him. Because what I love about him, what I loved about him, I think in the very first episode even, it was like his ability to be all like goofy and silly and cute and Coulson, and then like in an instant be terrifying. Like, well, and I believed it. And I was like, fuck yeah, don't fuck with his people. It's not okay. Keep going. Keep going. I'm going to do one thing. I'll be right back. Just keep talking. Talk to our audience. Now what Go. are you doing? Hi, bye. Jesus. How does he do this shit? What is wrong with him? See, there he's leaving. I can see him in the background. He's <laughs> so, to anybody who is hearing a loud buzzing in the background, that like I think that our way of doing this cuts out buzzes, but there was a loud buzzing in the background. I was like, oh my gosh, is everyone going to be going, what's that? So I went and turned it off. But maybe nobody heard it and nobody knows what I'm talking Anyway, Anyway, yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. Here was my problem with, with S.H.I.E.L.D., um, <laughs> And I think I said this on earlier episodes. The problem I had with S.H.I.E.L.D. is at the end of the first episode, nobody had a dramatic crisis. Like, nobody. Like, nobody, like, like we didn't know where, how Coulson came back. And we kind of felt, <laughs> and we kind of felt like Sky, um, but they didn't even seem to care. Like, something happened, but nobody really seemed to care. And Sky had some conflicted loyalties, and there was nothing else. Like, there was nothing. There was no other thing that made any made me care about anyone. I and I compared it a lot to the end of the pilot of Firefly, where 
we know that Mal used to be religious and now he's not. We know that he's heartbroken and he's trying to keep a gruff exterior while he's really hurting and desperate on the inside. We know that Wash is jealous of Mal. We know that that um, that River, we don't know what's going to happen with her, but she just seems lost. We know that um, at the end of the very, very first episode, we know that Jane might betray them all. We know that Kaylee likes Simon. We know that Simon's... Like, we know everybody's dramatic crisis at the end of the first episode. And less so for Buffy... Um, but at the end of the first episode of Buffy, you absolutely know that, that Xander likes Buffy, that Willow likes Xander, that Buffy is unsure about being in a new school, that Buffy is, is uh, like her character is um, is going to be watched really closely by the principal. She's trying to out, you know, escape from a past where she burnt down her old high school. Like there's, like there's all this dramatic conflict at the be- beginning of the pilot episode. At the beginning of the pilot episode of S.H.I.E.L.D., I felt like Sky might be might have some problems and and it's a shame because Joss wrote and directed that episode and I felt like he was trying to lay groundwork but like I felt nothing I mean I definitely felt more like it was a an introduction yeah you know what I mean like it felt like it very much felt like a first episode like here are the people and here are the circumstances but like not a whole lot else but there was no personal circumstance I guess that's the problem that I had is at the end of the episode I didn't feel like like it, like there were any personal circumstances for any of the people. I didn't feel any, any. No, I feel like that that definitely builds slower. I think that that's something you get over the course of, you know, the, the beginning episodes yeah. of the series. I think they definitely. I think I am worried that for some people it's too little too late. I know that Daniel Ross, um, who cameoed on our last episode, yeah, um, yeah. I know that that Daniel Ross is like out. Like he's like he's, like, he's done. He's like it sucks. I'm done. Um, and I wow. could see Done I feel what? that with Shield. Shield. Oh. I feel like people could watch um, the like the first season of Dollhouse, almost all the first season of Dollhouse, and I re- I know why people checked out of that show. It's a shame they did. I don't know got, why. I thought that fucking shit was compelling from the get go, but whatever. Yeah, I I just felt like it was a slow burn. <laughs> it felt a little too studio, and it felt like I didn't like and and but you like you like episodic television. I do. Like that like doesn't bother me. Like you I said don't last remember. time. Sorry, we're having, ladies and gentlemen, we're having a little bit of what's called internet delay. <laughs> As I speak, she decides to speak, but then I stop, and then I don't know that she speaks, and so yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, why don't you go ahead with why you're okay with episodic television? I just because I am. Like I, I don't. I like you know. That in Shield, I guess there's sort of this overarching storyline, like with where was Coulson? Like that seems to be clearly something that they're sort of hinting at and teasing at, and I hope that eventually we'll get the answer to that and what the what the deal is. But like, I I don't feel the need to be like on the edge of my seat at the end of the episode going, oh, what's gonna what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? Like I don't need that. Like if I like the characters and I like the stories that you're telling, like that's fucking enough for me. You know what I mean? Like. That's, yeah. that's I'll, I'll keep coming back for that. And I, I would say that I used to say that about Star Trek The Next Generation when I was when I would defend it to people who go, you're a nerd. And I go, no, don't you understand? Every episode's like a little movie. Yeah. And um, that being said, I guess, I'd be, I guess DS9 spoiled me because I like every season being like a big 20-hour movie. Um, but that's speaking of Star Trek, um, before we jump into original series, I watched an episode of Enterprise today. Oh yeah? Or, yeah. It's a surprise, nice. surprise. Great. I watched it's funny that I would do this. In my random picking out, I watched episode three of season four. 
um, which really should have been episode one of season four. But the first two episodes of season four are, we're fighting Nazis, Nazi aliens at the end of the Zindi arc, and then we're going to shove in how the temporal Cold War didn't really happen. Um, and and then the beginning of episode three is, they land on Earth and they're home, like, we saved you, and then there's xenophobia, and then there's, you know, they're out to get flocks, and, and like, there's a lot of recovery time. Yeah, it's time really out. tense. It's a great <laughs> episode. It's but like, I believe it, that's the way motherfuckers would act. You know yeah, what I mean? well, that part's tense in the way everybody's... Re it reminds me very much of the um, the episode um, Family of Next Generation after the Borg attacked when Picard goes and sees his brother. And he's just sort of like, how do you deal with what just happened to you? Yeah. Um, and I dug that. I was I was like, you know, there's parts of this show I like. There's The the effects are a huge problem for me, of all things. Isn't that weird? That is... So you get caught up on, like, just hung up on things like that. Like, I don't know... You know I think they're reaching. Like, here's my problem with the effects. They they try to have this shot where Archer lands in a stadium and talks to a stadium full of people in a shuttlecraft, and it's so clearly bad CGI. Um, <laughs> and and I feel like they managed to go like the last five seasons of Next Gen, and and most of DS9, and even most of Voyager without that. And I get the sense that it was right in that time when they're like. We can do big CGI on TV. Let's do whatever yeah, we no, can. I know. Like I feel like, and I almost feel like in movies, even like I just, <clears throat> I feel like we've gone too far. Like, but now we in can movies, do CGI least, and we can do all this stuff. So like, we're never gonna try to do things practically ever again because it's cheaper to do it with CGI. And it's like, well, fuck you. It looks better when you use practical. But like, they're getting they're getting to a point now where where they can they they've learned how to use CGI in what I think is a really effective way. Um, I watched a lot of the making of of The Hobbit, and uh, and they showed that they like a lot of what you think are outdoor scenes are not outdoor scenes. Um, they built some trees and some rocks and some dirt, and all the close-up stuff is practical, and it's just a giant green screen behind them. Right. Um, and and that's I what think I that feel like they started doing with Once Upon a Time, and that's why it started looking better, like in its later seasons, and it's why Once Upon a Time in Wonderland kind of still has that the way that Once Upon a Time used to look because when any time they were in the fairy tale world it was like so evident because like everything behind them was clearly CGI whereas yeah. I feel like what they've done now is they've gotten because they were, they got popular they got some money and they were like okay well so then this is what we're going to do we're going to actually have some sets with trees and outdoorsy and shit and well, then that's we'll how have they... for the far away shots that's when we'll have green screens that you'll see that we're in you know Neverland well, you know like, what I mean? On on the on the Narada, on the Romulan ship in Star Trek 2009, um, much of, like those interiors, you clearly it's CGI because that clearly doesn't exist. Right. Like clearly you have to go. Okay, I know that doesn't exist. I can't tell you where the practical ends and the CGI begins. Um, yeah, that's when because, it's done really well. Because everything in the foreground is practical, so the yeah. CGI is there to fill in the gaps. And I'm totally okay with using it for that. What I don't like is, like, I was actually talking about this with my sister, who's not even someone who, like, watches TV or movies or anything. She's, like, you know, very granola. She, like, yeah. has a little farm and stuff and, like, you know. So Good use of granola. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> so we were talking about it, though, because, of course, we both grew up in the 80s, and great 80s movies like Legend, mm -hmm. and she was trying to find the soundtrack for Legend, which, of course, you can't find, apparently, anywhere because it's all been replaced with the director's cut revision of 
the music for Legend, which is not Tangerine Dream, which is poopy. Huh. Like, I have the director's cut uh, of the movie. I was really excited when it came out. I was like, this is so interesting. And none of the Tangerine Dream music is there because apparently the director didn't want that. And it, like, Isn't puts the director in, Ron Howard? Um, was it Ron Howard? Legend? No. no. It was Ridley Scott, maybe? Ridley Scott, maybe? Was it? <clears throat> Mr. I'm not sure. Mr. A, quick, grab a grab a device. Yeah, look Mr. up Ray. look it up on a device. He has a device in his hands and everything. Um, I don't recall, but I know that I when I watched it, I was like, "What the fuck is this shit? This isn't fucking legend. This is bullshit." I was not happy. It's amazing how much the music changes something. And it wasn't she walked that it was out bad of her music. door. She walked to the nearest <laughs> local corner store. She grabbed the first customer she saw. She slammed the customer's <laughs> face through the counter and said. Why? The customer's like, why what? what? Tangerine Dream! <laughs> tangerine Dream, motherfucker! What the fuck do you want with Tangerine Dream? Where are you? And so, of course, I started. I was trying to help my sister find it, and you can find it, but people charge like $100 for the original CD. Really? Because it, Yeah, because you cannot find it anywhere. Like, and people will charge like 60 bucks for, wait for it, a tape. Really? Like an actual audio cassette tape. Ridley Scott. Yes, it was Ridley, Ridley Scott. Scott. Good call. Wow. Good call on you. Yeah, way to go, babe. Well done. It was totally a bad call on Ridley Scott's part, though, because seriously, <laughs> Tangerine Dream, the producers were right. That was better. That was the right call. And you the know, stuff that he cut out, that was cut out, that was like, that made it much darker than it was, also, the right call. But like, I was just, we were talking about like CG and stuff, and I was like, yeah, see, that's, the, it's like shit like that, right? In, in Legend, that is clearly a horse with a horn on its head. And that's awesome, because then I believe that they're interacting with something. Now, today, we would just put CG. It would be like, oh, just yep. put a, throw a unicorn in there. It would be great. Yeah, like, well, here's the thing. I, I would... No, they wouldn't even do that. That's what I'm saying. They wouldn't even use the horse and then just CGI the horn. You know, they just CGI well, the whole fucking thing because it's cheaper and it looks like shit. And you don't have you, to deal with the. And you don't have to deal with an actual animal. Yeah. You know, you my my problem, my and then none were harmed and all that garbage and all that shit, right? Yeah. yeah. The Life of uh, Pi didn't have to have that disclaimer. That's true they because none of the animals were fucking real. <laughs> oh, I liked him though. I I I dug. Anyway, I did so, too, um, but I, but it's different. I I would rather have you know, real animals. You know what my problem is with the use of C specifically in that episode of Enterprise and a lot of other things that I've seen is that um and I'll use uh Man of Steel as an example. It has plenty of other problems. Um uh, I like the first half of it much more than I remembered liking it and I dislike the second half the same amount. Um but <laughs> I think the problem with CG is they're using it to give you shots that you couldn't otherwise get. And I think that your brain tells you they can't that shot can't be. Right. So, so I think that CG done well. Look back at Jurassic Park, right? <laughs> Jurassic yeah, Park, that's Jurassic, it holds up. It, it totally holds up. holds up. The reason is, is there's some practical here. There's some practical there, but they're not using like, like. And I think as much as I love Fight Club, I think that movies like like Fight Club and like Panic Room, especially when David Fincher started using CG to like take the camera through the handle of the coffee cup. <laughs> you know, which is which is cool. And when I first saw it, I was like, "Oh my gosh, what a great shot!" But now, in retrospect, I'm like, you know, I think that's the beginning of the problem. Is that yeah. suddenly the camera is following around Superman, flying with Superman through the buildings, whereas I felt like before, when there was model work and stuff, the camera would would pull back and you go, "Okay, hey, look at this." And instead, I get the sense <laughs> that the camera wants me to be in it so much as if I'm there. 
as the tag along in a first person shooter. Right. But maybe I'm not the audience anymore. I mean, that's like I guess maybe, that's, maybe yeah, maybe that's the problem. Like, cause I just I would rather. I mean, <clears throat> think about like Jurassic Park is a is a great example. Like when she's with the the Triceratops, is it? Mm-hmm. Um, that scene doesn't work with just a CGI fucking dinosaur. It's well, not I, awesome. I I hate to say this, I don't think that scene works anyway because it's clearly a puppet. Um, Whatever, that scene's awesome. No, I love it was that a scene. fucking elephant, I think, with like a thing on its head. No, when it when it took the deep breath, I, it seems very much just like they inflated some kind of bag. Um, maybe oh, I'm wrong. You have like no sense of imagination. I love that. That's like my favorite part of the movie. I think probably. Um, no way. That is know, not I, your favorite part. It of is. The movie. I love that part. I know you love that part, but it's not your favorite part. Come on, everybody's favorite part of the movie is the, the same. Fucking, with with the cows, when the cow when they're in the tree and the cows come up. The cows. And, and they feed the cows. Yeah, that's pretty great. Oh yeah. no, you see, when when the when because CG was so new, <laughs> I'll never forget the moment that T Rex bit down on the lawyer. I had, just, <laughs> I had just up to that point in my life, I had never seen anything like that, and I was like, "Holy shit, that T Rex just ate that lawyer!" And it was <laughs> lawyers, lawyers, lawyers. Star Trek: The Original Series. <laughs> Episode number 123, that means it's the 23rd episode produced. Original air date, February 9th, 1967. Story by Gene Roddenberry, teleplay by Boris Sobelman. Directed by Joseph Pevney. The name of the episode is Return of the Archon. Synopsis. The Enterprise, this is all from Trek Today, by the way. Thank you, Trek Today, for being part of our show. The Enterprise pursues a missing starship's crew on a planet ruled by a being named Landru, which takes over their minds to make them part of a passive, complacent society. Um, go! <laughs> well, I think this is a... Um, what I, okay, so I when I rewatched this episode several times recently, I did have to note that something that kind of didn't make sense later but like was awesome in the moment because it just it sets up such a scene they like arrive there and like everybody's like Landru peace be with you like everybody's all like you know weird and creepy and they're like this is a little bit weird and creepy um but they're like be cool be cool and so they're like Landry. they're like walking and and everybody's okay and then like all of a sudden the bells chime and like people just go ape shit crazy like, and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, it's Black what? Friday. Like, exactly. Like, oh, like, the women start screaming. And the There's men a Blu-ray are... player on sale. <laughs> There's rioting in the streets, and you're like, what the fuck is going on? We only have three Xbox Ones. <laughs> but, like, they don't ever really, like, no, you watch the whole episode and you find out about Landru and it's just as creepy as you think it is. And, like, what you don't understand, though, what's sort of never explained is why they go crazy at, like, 6 o'clock and have the festival. Like, that's never really explained, like, what that's about, other than to make you go, what the fuck? <laughs> like, that's kind of why. I mean, I guess maybe what I what I assume it is is that Though Landru is like in charge of them and kind of keeping them peaceful and and you know keeping them Stepford wives or whatever, that like Good human call. beings um, have urges and so like if you suppress them for too long, you have to like have a period where they are just urge right where they're just the bad stuff and so that's what festival is like that's the the release of all of that so that they can go back to being all Stepfordy afterward. 
So, but like the fact that people don't always have to be a part of festival, I'm like, what? So like, if you get to be a certain age, like you're just okay. Like I don't. Like, it's just never really fully explored, and I kind of would have liked that if it had been. It's still a great episode, in my opinion, because it's really... It's creepy because they get, you know, they get bones. And you're like, fuck. Well, it's like, like there, there's a strong horror element. that, that I that, Again, we said that last time, that, that Star Trek can immediately be silly and ridiculous, and then the next episode be compelling and make you cry, and then the next episode be creepy. And then, like, yeah. like Star Trek was not gonna be one kind of show it's it's kind of they, I think there's a deliberate choice to make every episode a different kind of show yeah I mean because this is definitely this is a fucking creepy ass episode you're like speaking shit. of creepy ass people um Sid Haig who's uh, a big fan of Rob Zombie uh, or a big uh, um, actor in Rob Zombie films uh, big in uh, The Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses um huge in the horror community uh, is in this episode I had no idea so um, anyway, moving on to episode uh, 124, 24th episode produced of the original series, originally aired on February 23rd, 1967, story by Robert Hammer, teleplay by Robert Hammer and favorite Gene L. Kuhn, directed by Joseph Pevney. A Taste of Armageddon. An arrogant ambassador places the Enterprise in the midst of a civil war between two planets fought entirely by computer, which reports the casualties so that people can voluntarily, voluntarily report to disintegration chambers without their societies risk, risking physical destruction. This is some fucking brilliant shit right here. This is some, yeah, some classic, awesome trick. Like, it completely highlights, like, if, if war wasn't awful... It would last for 3,000 fucking years just like that. Like, it's, you know what I mean? If it's all neat and prim and proper and people go and clean and people go to the little, you know, disintegration chambers and all that fucking bullshit. It's such bullshit. It's like, how about you live with the horror of war and then maybe, maybe you'll want to just have peace. Well, like, and you know, it's funny you should say that. Um, that you know, I'm not going to get into a political discussion. I think that that's you know, we have conservative listeners, we have liberal listeners. We love you all. If you voted Republican, or you voted Democrat. God bless you. Thanks for thank you for listening. Um, <laughs> I I heard it. Uh, I heard it once argued. Um, about uh the war in uh the war in Iraq, which if I'm wrong, it's either the war in Iraq or the war in Afghanistan. It might have been Iraq that went longer than the Vietnam War. Um. Uh, one of those two wars, um, and forgive me for not knowing, but like th they both went on longer than World War II. They both went on longer than like we just like we can stay in a protracted situation because what we receive, we receive a very sanitized, you know, like like people argue about it, and politicians, you know, and and shows on both the, all the networks, they argue about it, and you have all this, but really we get a sanitized version, and we're a sanitized country trying to do deliberate strikes with drones on specific oh. targets and there's like there's never this sense of of wanton destruction. Yeah, it's not the same. Like World War II didn't last as long because everybody's, you know, there's air raids and people are being, you know, bombs are being dropped everywhere and like it's not cool. You know what and, I mean? Like and, and yet as many people as have died over there and we like like granted <clears throat> I don't think anyone's going to argue that that our wars in the Middle East didn't devastate the countries involved, and we can decide whether or not it was better. You know, some people say oh, it's better than. Yeah, people can right. say it's better than we fought, and I'm I'm not here to argue that point. So please don't send me emails on either side. I'm not stating an opinion there. 
<laughs> it's a Star. It's a Star Not Trek. It's a Star, it's a Star Trek. Trek podcast. Um, but I would say that all that being said, it's an interesting question to raise: is is it better? Like certainly, fewer people died in those wars as long as they were than the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions and like a like like when you count all the people who died in World War II, like Russia, it's like you, you look at the numbers, like 125 million, like like. Is it and and the destruction of country like like one would argue, is a taste of Armageddon wrong, or is it a better form of war, or does its protractedness make it worse? I think I I definitely think that it it sh what it highlights is that the protractedness makes it worse. The fact that you aren't because what happens is that human beings are just people, you know. Like obviously in in the world of Star Trek, they're you know beings, but like human beings are very. We're, we're just, we're very adaptable. Like, that's how we're designed. Like, by design, we're very adaptable. So, like, we can come, like, I mean, consider how far, like, because I watch a lot of Sleepy Hollow, and it's so funny to hear all the things he'll talk about, you know, the, the little anachronisms he'll have that are just really funny, where he's like, you pay this much in taxes? Why are people not revolting in the streets? Like, you know, because we've, because we're complacent with it, because... We've come to understand. We were just talking about this, like how much an iPhone is. Like I remember when you know cell phones were like you know fifty, sixty bucks. An expensive one, like a really expensive one, was a hundred dollars. It was oh, like way, I don't need that, you know. Let me, let me jump in real quick and say I'm an idiot. Uh, the Vietnam War took place between December nineteen fifty six and April nineteen seventy five. So um, that's eighteen years. And no, no, sorry, my bad. Okay. So, so let me backtrack on that. Corrected. All right. <laughs> But so I guess the but but now people will drop, you know, two hundred to six hundred bucks on a new iPhone like every couple of years, and that's yeah. because that's just the way it is, right? Like so we've we've come to understand that that's how it is, and we bitch about it, but we don't do anything to change it. You know well, what I mean? So, so I feel like if we if we have this sort of situation with war, this you know where we don't really have to see the fallout from it, we don't really have to deal with the damage of it, like, abstractly we have to hear about it, and that sucks, and people die, and that sucks, but, like, we can get okay with that. We've gotten okay with it. Like, we've proven that. Well, let's, you know let's, let's jump into what this really is then, right? Because this is, I just gave you the dates for the Vietnam War. This is smack dab in the middle of it. Absolutely. Right, so... And so, the point is, like, that's happening over there. Like, we're not really being affected... There are, Here, two side, there are two sides that are fighting. We're not seeing that. We're the computer, right? That's yeah, us. Yeah, we're the computer. America mm -hmm. and the Soviet Union are the computer fighting the war. Mm-hmm. Like, and not having to really deal, like, people are leaving. People are being, you know, drafted, and so people are dying. But, like, we don't really know why, and you know what I mean? Like, they couldn't even tell you why. Like, they just were like, no, we can't, we can't have peace with them. Like, well... Why? Because they haven't even tried. You know what I mean? Like yeah. because they've become complacent with things the way they are and and angry about it like oh it's terrible it's just terrible. You know but like it's not terrible enough for them to do something like talk peace. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I think that's what they really highlight and showcase in this episode. It's like obvious. It's like no, clearly it's not so terrible. If it was so fucking terrible, you wouldn't still be doing it. Yeah, like, no, I agree with you. Um, moving on, because you want to move on to this one. Episode 
125, 25th uh, made, original air date February 16th, 1967, story by Carrie Wilbur, teleplay by Gene Alcoon and Carrie Wilbur, directed by Mark Daniels, the name of the episode is Space Seed. Oh, yeah. Kirk and his crew find a sleeper ship of genetically bred superhumans led by the ruthless 20th century dictator Khan Noonien Singh, who tries to take over the ship with help of a 23rd century archaeologist who falls in love with him. Can we can we talk about how fun that is, though? The part where she's like, <laughs> like the way he treats her, and like, yeah, this is what totally. And works. every time they cut to her, like, <laughs> like it's the soft focus and like glitter around her oh, face. Oh yeah, oh yeah, totally, totally. I love that. Like, I, I, I really want us to go back to that in movie. Like, I want to be in a movie, <laughs> and well, I want every time you feels. show me, it's you know, in a soft focus, so I look really nice and romantic. <laughs> yeah. Um. God, it's hard to talk about this episode without talking about Star Trek II and without talking about Into Darkness. And without Why do we talk have to talk about those? Because this is the original. This is the series. This is the thing, you know? Like, I know, but stuff. it's like... like Khan was great, but he wasn't that important at the time. He, came, he was a great episode. He came, he went, and then there were two and a half more years of Star Trek and everything was fine. But at this point, Khan is the... Like, here we are in, you know, 2014. Khan is the end-all, be-all of Star Trek, right? Like, like I mean, it's a big deal. Like, I think that's one of the ways that they did a really... They just they did a great job of... They, they had such a great episode with him, and they had fleshed it out enough that they were able to go back that many years yeah. later and totally make that shit work. Without the episode. And can I say that? Yeah. It works with the episode? It works with the episode or without it. Absolutely. I did not see the episode until years after I saw Star Trek Two. Um, like years after. I'd seen Star Trek 2 probably 10 times before I saw the episode. Yeah. Not yeah. even realizing that Star Trek 2 was based on an episode of Star Trek. Really? So how yeah. was that when you saw it? Were you just like, was that really cool? Getting Well, to see I mean, it? it's like, I, I, I knew about it for a while before I saw it. Like, you know, I was a big Next Gen fan. I was a, So I didn't watch a lot of the original series by that point, but like people had told me, you know, by that point I was enough of a fan that I knew, but I just never got around to seeing it for like a year, and then I did, and I was like, whoa. Um, because it was great, but so different than I was expecting. And Khan is, he's like not even the same Khan from Star Trek Two. He looks different. He I sounds mean, different. No, he, he doesn't sound different. He does look different because he's clearly older. But no, there's a, no, I there's there is a difference between the Khan, uh, the 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 you know, you know, hello, Captain, I am Khan, and I am here. You know, Did between that, Yakov wasn't around. Yeah, yeah no, that that's confused you. That's Wait the a minute! Thing. Like, where was Chekhov? Where was he yeah. hiding? He was um, totally on the ship. Of all the of all the people, they would choose in Star Trek Two to have him run into too. You know why? Like, why? Why would it be Chekhov? I know. I had that thought too. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Why isn't this Sulu? Why isn't it Sulu? Yeah. Because Sulu's actually could, there. Could have been anyone. <laughs> um, but but like, there's that con does not remind me in any way of the con from you know from Hell's Heart. I stab at thee. Like that doesn't remind me of the really? smooth. No, not I at all. Agree. I feel like that strength is always there, like especially and that's what I'm talking about, like the scenes with the woman, right? Where she's all like like I don't know, kind of like, well then get out of here. Like it's just like or stay, get, but or stay, but don't because you wish to. Like yeah. I disagree. I think they're totally the same dude. Like yeah, I totally it, see the same guy. <laughs> I I guess I guess I don't see what you choose to do. <laughs> like he's so intense about it. It's the plane, the plane. Wait, what? That's a Yeah, she does the thing. 
you had this other context of Fantasy Island not and uh, fucking not Chrysler LeBaron commercials. No, no. With the rich Corinthian leather. leather. Con, con Why not the best? Ricardo, <laughs> Ricardo Montalban is con first for me. Absolutely. Then Fantasy Island, then the grandfather from Spy Kids. Um, he's, <laughs> which what? is awesome. because grandfather he, from Spy Kids. He was. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. What I love about him in the Spy Kids movies is that he's he's in a wheelchair in the Spy Kids movies, but through the magic of CGI, their CGI used well. They shot him on a green screen um, from the chest up, and he's able to run and fight and like like in a robot body, um, which I love. Good for him. Um, we, miss, we we miss you, Ricardo. Um, yeah. Uh, the episode itself, I mean, yeah, it absolutely does stand. It stands the test of time. It's, um, you know, it, I feel like as a modern audience, you know, you're going to disagree with me here, but I feel like it's, it's undercut by the cheesy stuff that we just described. I feel like if you got rid of the Vaseline on the lens, that stuff that really dated it, I think I could show that episode to a modern audience and it would still be great the way that, say, um, I Balance of Terror is. Like, I think Balance of Terror... I mean, I do think, too, I think that it has enough, like, they don't know who he is, they're trying to figure it out, um, and he's clearly scary. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's there's suspense there, and he, like the, like, the scene when they have the, like, dinner or whatever for, for him, and he's, like, feels as though he gets outmaneuvered, and you're like, what is he talking about? Like... They were all just having dinner, man. You know, and he turns it into this, like, battle situation, essentially. And you're like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> like, jeez. And I just think it says so much, and it's really tense. You have your, your officers yes. do your talking for you. Yes, do you have yes, do your, yeah, do your talking for you while you stack bad and you watch. It's like, it's just good shit. Like, they do a really good job. And you understand why he's fighting for what he believes in, even though it's, like, twisted. You know what I mean? He's like, I was doing good. I, I took care of my people. You know, like, they wanted me to lead them, right? And it's like, dude, dude, no, that's not okay. Can we be clear, though, how, and I, I'm going to say something controversial, and you'll have to uh -oh. deal with me on this You're in a second. Uh -oh. um, it's more about Wrath of Khan, but this begat Wrath of Khan. So can I say, I think that Khan is the worst thing that ever happened to the Star Trek universe. What? You think Khan is the worst thing? Allow me to say that again. Yeah, that's what he said. That's yeah, what he said. To, okay. not to the, to the Star Trek universe. Star Space Seed, a great episode, which begat the Wrath of Khan, a great film, which begat Christopher Lloyd's performance as Krug in Star Trek Three, which is sometimes great and sometimes dubious. But clearly, they're like, I like the way that Khan was like so singularly evil and, and, and it was about Kirk versus evil guy which then you got Star Trek 4 which is great and Star Trek 5 it then begat Cybok who was this the anti-con but still was a reaction to con and Cybok's your crew is a little bit of a problem and Cybok's a huge problem Star Trek 6 Christopher Plummer doing his best con imitation but does a great job I'm with you Star Trek 6 um, and then you get to generations and people are iffy on I like Soren in Seven, but he's clearly doing a con imitation. By the time you get to First Contact, which is the first villain that is not like Khan, the first villain who's just out for what they're out for. They're not out for some kind of 
revenge against something and they're not chewing the scenery. She's so like the Borg Queen. <laughs> not chewing the scenery. Like the the, the Borg Queen is like the is, she's just becoming the scenery. Uh, the Borg mm-hmm. Queen is is like the first villain that doesn't seem to be a direct re- reaction to Khan. Then they get to insurrection. And and again, it's F. Murray Abraham doing his con imitation, and then you get to Nemesis, and they've outright said we're trying to make it like Wrath of Khan, and you get to Star Trek 2009, where Nero is Khan, and then you get to, to Star Trek Into Darkness, where Khan is Khan. It's just, <laughs> Khan it's like it's it's like it's like Star Trek because of Khan got to a point where, where and they were chasing the Khan. <laughs> yeah, they were chasing the Khan. Well, it became a big good guy versus bad guy dynamic as opposed to some of the other episodes of Star Trek, which are and you're talking about ruining Star Trek films, not all of Star Trek, right? Yeah, yeah. Let me be clear about that. The star, I guess, the Star Trek cinematic. Uh, and I think that's and and you're right. The Star Trek cinematic franchise, which right now is all that Star Trek is, so I guess that's why I feel that way. Um, right. But I mean, uh, there's plenty of more cerebral, episodic content yes, from the TV absolutely. series yes. that wasn't influenced by Khan at all. But if you're talking about yes, the major motion pictures, I definitely yes, get what the you're success saying. of Khan, I guess, sort of created a template that they tried to re recapture. Perhaps. Can I ask you a question specifically about Insurrection, which which I've ragged on as being the worst of the worst, right? Um, mm-hmm. um, Insurrection would have maybe been an interesting film if not for F. Murray Abraham's character. All these interesting concepts. Did you need a big leader bad guy who was now? You know, like like <laughs> like. Did you? I mean, I know it, that you needed him. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I, I mean, think that that's that one doesn't occur to me in the same way. Like, I don't. I almost don't even remember him being the big bad guy. If that makes sense. You know what? Like, you know that's what? That's not was? the part I remember. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd, Christopher Plummer, uh, Christopher Lloyd, Christopher Plummer. I don't know who the actor is who played Cybok. Um, I. What's his name? Who played Soren? Uh, Malcolm McDowell. McDowell. F. Murray Abraham. You know, it's like let's get a a well-known character actor, Ricardo Montalban, well-known for playing something else. Get him to do a big performance as a villain, and that's the showcase of the Star Trek film. And I feel like, like when I look back at him as Khan in Space Seed, dare I say that while his performance is infinitely more compelling in Wrath of Khan, his character is more compelling in Spacey. Does that make sense? I, I mean, I guess so. I, I, think, I think the thing that I might have had a little bit of trouble with come Spacey, um, not Spacey, but come Wrath of Khan, was that it's pretty evident when they leave them on the planet that they leave them on at Space Seed, at the end of Space Seed, like, he's understands that it's not going to be easy, that they could very well die, that, like, that's just the way that it is. Kirk's not and, like, hey, I'll check in on you pretty soon. Yeah, like, Kirk never says, I'll give you, like, ten years and then I'll see what's up, man. Like, he pretty much says, instead of taking you to prison, I will let you live your life out and conquer this world. And if you can conquer it, dude, go for it. And he's yeah. like, all right, man. And then he turns to the woman. He's like, dude, do you want to come? I mean, it's not going to be easy. Like, we could probably fucking die. Like, we're probably going to die. She's like, I'll go with you. You know, so it the part that I have trouble with come Wrath of Khan is, like, how he's all pissed off because of what happened. It's like, yeah. well, his, I, his motiva- dude, his I motiva- don't get it. Like, his you, motivations you- are never really clear. 
Um, and it gets that, again, I see that echoed throughout all the Star Trek films that come after it. Um, and, you know, I dare say you don't have to make a film with it. Now, granted, I've made three films, and in each case of the three films, I've had a big a big bad who's supposed to be larger than life. So clear, clearly, I'm not a better screenwriter than these guys. So, <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, I've managed to see, you know, a lot of, a lot of action films that didn't have to have a big over-the-top performance by a character actor known for something else, you know, trying to prove what a great theatrical actor he is. You know, it's to varying degrees of success. Um, that being said, Space Seed, great episode. Let's go on. Episode 126. Original air date, March 2nd, 1967. Story by Nathan Bolter Butler. Sorry, DC Fontana. Teleplay by DC Fontana. Directed by Ralph Sorensky. The name of the episode is This Side of Paradise. Humans are kept safe on a planet bombarded with people. By Sorry, bombarded with people. They're just showing up everywhere. Just fucking raining people. <laughs> bombarded with deadly radiation by a spore, which has the side effect of making people blissfully content. Spock is reunited with an old friend who uses the spores to make him fall in love with her. When Kirk realizes the price for paradise is an end to exploration, he determines to recover his crew from the spores. I remember this one really... This is a like, great episode. It's, I mean, it's another like Leonard Nimoy wants to show he has feelings episode. It's which... great though because those are some of the great ones because he's so you, you know, he's not, and like you see him like laughing and smiling and smiling in this episode, and it just, it just, I don't know what it does to me anyway. It just, it just lifts my heart up. I can't tell you. Like it's just, I don't know but what the, it is. But, but isn't the tragedy? Is it? Wouldn't you call this episode a tragedy in that Spock has to give oh, up being happy? Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Like, and that's what I'm talking about, because you have all of these lighthearted moments where, like, you know, once the spore has sort of taken him, like, it hasn't taken, I think the last person it gets, in fact, is is Kirk, and so he's, like, calling okay. Mr. Spock, and he's like, come here, and he's like, no, I, I don't think I will. <laughs> like, is this the one where they fight? Like, like getting yes. a fight and Spock beats the shit out of This it? is the one, and this is the one that inspires, if you ask me, um, that scene in... Star Trek 2009, when he gets him to like beat his ass, like it's absolutely inspired by this by this episode. Ooh, because, good call. Because that's what it is. He basically, what happens is Kirk is the last one on the ship. The spores are up there, like and he's thus far managed. And so basically, the deal is there's actually this like something, some kind of radiation that starts with a B. I can't remember what it's called now. But that's bombarding the planet. So they're sent there to get the people, the colonists, because they were supposed to, and they honestly didn't expect to find them alive. They thought they would be dead. Barium radiation, I think. They expected them to be dead because they couldn't survive. Bertol rays. rays, that's what Are they going to die? Are they, um, like, would they so live to their old age? What would they, they find out is that the spores give them immunity to the Bertol rays. And also, like, pretty much reverses any kind of medical conditions they might have had. Like, because when they get there, you know, he's doing the med, you know, Bones is doing the medical reviews of everybody and finding out, like, this guy, he's like, everybody's in perfect health. He's like, okay, so what's the problem? He's like, well, the, ca the, the captain, for instance, like, had his appendix taken out. And, like, he's got a fucking appendix, man. Like... He regrew it. I don't know what to tell you. Kirk's like, like, don't say fucking, we're on TV. He's like, we're on TV, you can't use that word, Poe. Fuck, um, sorry. Fuck, sorry. Side, side um, note, side note, I'm uh, almost done watching Lord of the Rings with my oldest son, and Carl uh, Urban, like, occasionally, 
is Bones. Like occasionally when he's on the That's screen, awesome. I'm like I'm like he'll do something as and you'll be like, um, it's Bones. as Aimer, and he's not always Bones, but occasionally he'll kind of give this little like he'll ask for something to happen, and the king will say no, and he'll give that little frustrated Bones look, that little. <laughs> I'm like, ah, that's bollocks. That's awesome. Anyway, go on. But anyway, so basically, everybody at this point has gone down to the planet. Kirk is on his own up on the up on the ship, and he finally gets hit with the spores. And he's, and you think it's over. You're like, fuck. Like everybody's all happy, but like the the problem is, is nobody has any drive anymore, right? So basically, they're a bunch of potheads, right? That that just like smoke the pot. That are cool and groovy and everything's great, but like they have no uh, uh, no drive to do anything more than just like exist, right? And like be chill. So he's about to go down, and then all of a sudden he realizes, and he has like a negative thought, right? Which basically breaks the hold of the spores, and he realizes what he has to do. So like he tricks Spock into coming up. He's like, I could use your help in getting some stuff, man. And he's like. All right, Captain. So, like, he comes up there, and then he, like, starts a fucking fight with him to basically get him to have a negative thought. And it goes poorly for him because Spock kicks his ass before he sort of wakes up. Um, but it totally inspires 2009, totally. Um, so, let me ask you then, this question. And then, but that's the thing. At the end, he's like, I was happy, though, like, for the first time in my life. So, I here's the question. Happy, and it's sad. <laughs> was Kirk right? To do what he did? Yeah. I mean, the Enterprise is not the end-all, be-all. It's not. The the only reason I would say he did the right thing is because they didn't choose. It, like, happened to them. So it's almost the difference, like, the way I like it in any way, it's the difference between having somebody, like, fucking dose you at a party and, like, asking to take something. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if they had made that decision, if it was like, okay... You know what? I think I I think I'm okay with like not really exploring or having any drive and just like chilling, maxing and relaxing outside of the school. Um, ah. I'm cool with that. So like, I'm gonna take the spores and just like be chill. You want to be and chill? Suddenly, a captain right. who was up to no good started making trouble in your neighborhood. <laughs> in <the> neighborhood. <laughs> got got one, one little fight, fight with Spock. <laughs> His mom's got scared. So that's it. You're going back to the Enterprise. <laughs> exactly. Now, son of a bitch. That's so, really th- not a really good rhyme at the end of this one. No, I really really work out in it. <laughs> so all I have to say, I think he did the right thing because nobody chose it. And like most of them when they woke up, like the even the colonists were like, We haven't done anything. We've been here for like three years and like accomplished nothing. I don't know. Like could you imagine know. waking up that way and just being like Yes. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like, like, let me be clear, like, like, if they had, like, do they give, and again, it's been a while since I've seen the episode, but do they give you any, like, parents who haven't gone back, like, like, people had really important stuff that other people were counting on them that they failed to do? Like, I mean, they, when they went there, they went there with the goal of, of, like, I guess, making, they came for the soil. Because yeah, the soil I, there was particularly rich, and so like they came there to create something. No, I know? guess I guess my point is is like was there some Joker on some other planet waiting for no, these I guys don't th- I don't know to that show there was up and do some 
No, I don't think there was anybody like waiting on them, but they had they had had their own like aspirations when they went there. I don't and, know, like, man. Hadn't I hadn't accomplished I, any of that stuff. Here's the thing. I don't know that Kirk was right. I don't know that he was. Like, if they wanted to stay, he was like, no, I'm going to piss you off until you don't want to stay. Like, like <laughs> there are people who, who, I don't know. I'm not saying he's wrong, but I don't know that he was right. I he's, think if I he's think... very Kirk. Very Kirk. Oh, it's very Kirk, obviously. But I think if, after they would have been woken up from the spores, if they had been like, you know what, I'm actually kind of okay with it. I'm just going to chill here. Is that cool? Like, I think he might have acquiesced. I think the difference was is that they didn't make the choice. It's something that just happened to them, and then they're too far gone to make a choice. The episode might have been better if, once they were all on, if then half of them wanted to stay. And he was there like, no, we're staying. Why would half of them want to stay? Uh, because they were happy. I guess I feel like they sort of addressed that by the captain guy talking with him, being like, "Oh my gosh, we just we've been here this whole time, and we wanted to make this whole planet like this paradise. And what did we do? We haven't done anything, you know? Like Except I feel you like you made the planet a paradise, motherfucker. But they, but wow. he didn't. It wasn't true. It wasn't real. There was no the, progress. Like there was no progress, and that's they what they. They come there to do. They progress from unhappiness into happiness. That's progress. That's the but definition of a paradise. But you're assuming they were unhappy when they got there. I would be happy living on a carnival cruise ship as long as I didn't get sick. I would be totally happy with it. I would not make movies. I would not do Star Trek podcasts. I would wake up and I would just watch Sherlock or whatever came on. As long as I could hang out with my kids. Like, if I could just, like, not, I feel, okay, so here's, there's a great, uh, it's not just a line in one book, but there's a saying that they say to actors, right? The acting teachers say to actors. They go, if you can be happy doing anything else, do, do it. Because yeah. this, this sucks. Yeah. Like, like, this has to be a cancer that you can only cure by acting. Or that, you know, <laughs> you know like it has to be something that, that, that you can't survive without it. It's a, it's a, it has to be a dysfunction that you have to accept. That the only way to medicate yourself is through acting. Like, that's, like, it, like, that is... If I could get that fire out of my belly that I have to just, like, I want to create. I'm like, always, oh, I want to create this. I want to do this. I want to do that. And if I could just get that out of my head and just be like, you know, I want to go be Amish. I just want to go. <laughs> I, I want to go. And, yeah. I, like, I seriously, I just want to, like, go and just chill out and not ever worry about anything. Like, I think I could do it. Yeah. Like, you know the people who win the, the, the lottery and they're like, that's it. I'm going back to my job on Monday. Nope. 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 They'll find someone to cover my shift. Like, <laughs> like, and, and I, and yes, I do have a job where my job saves lives. And I appreciate that I've saved lives. And I want to because it's in me to want to. But if it didn't have to be in me to want to, I don't know that I would want to. Um, it goes against everything in my moral center to agree with what I'm saying right now. And since what I'm saying right now is a sci-fi impossibility, I feel comfortable saying it. Um, <laughs> but I, I guess that's the point. Like you think, you think you would. Like you think the you know you'd be okay with this escapism and just like being not having to worry about stuff. And I've had those thoughts myself because like I care about like a lot of stuff. And like yeah. I have a lot of people be like, you would be so much happier if you just didn't. It's like, really? Is that how yeah. that works? Yeah. Well, awesome. that's why don't I just do that? Like, well, you know, I will say this. I will say that the episode doesn't want us to be comfortable with it. 
And I don't think I would be. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think for a time you would be, but like you would, I think if you ever woke up from it, you would be like, what the fuck? Here's the thing. What was I doing? I wish that there was a scene where somebody, and maybe that's the scene when Spock goes, I was happy. A scene where you go, what have you done? What have you done? What you did, there's an element to what you did that was wrong. And I think that is what that is. That's definitely, like, I feel like they do they do a great job of Star Trek in it, where it's like, the, everybody gets woken up, and you're, you're, there's sort of this understanding that that's the right thing to have done, but then you have that moment with Spock, where he's like, the you know, bottom line, yeah. I was happy, and I've never been that before. Well, and I'm and, never going to be again. And you know I what I mean? That, and that's and I think, I think that ambiguity is is something they want you to feel. Absolutely. You know? I think so too. Episode 127 aired March 9th, 1967. It was written by Gene L. Kuhn again, directed by Joseph Pevney. The name of the episode is The Devil in the Dark. A creature that can eat its way through solid rock is killing miters on the distant outpost. The Horta. I am the Horta. I am not I am a doctor, not a bricklayer. That's it. Um, <laughs> it's you know, that episode. <laughs> what is the definition of life? That's a great, again. Yep. Um, and, and that's the sort of thing that you feel like we would totally come up against out there. Like this episode is so, We understand it, and fuck. This episode, I always remember as being a Next Gen episode. I don't know if Next Gen had an episode like it, Um. They but, probably did. I feel like they did. I think they had one where there was a um, a planet that was supposed to be devoid of life. Um, like, you're killing us. Like Yes, and there was like some tiny silicon-based yeah, life forms or I something. Remember, yeah, I remember. I don't know. But it's this is so classically Star Trek. Like, uh, oh, yeah. these rocks are alive. Yeah. You know, like, 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 have you considered what's alive and what's not? Yeah. Have you considered that there's life out there that isn't as we understand it? You but know, you know what it is? Carbon based. Is this an environmental episode about us cutting down trees? Um, I don't think so, because you the know? end result of the episode is that they have they come to an agreement with the Horda to like, like let them be chill, you know, and they'll do all the digging for them, like. Yeah, and we'll I guess just so. kind of, you know what I mean, like have an arrangement. So I think if that had been the thrust of it, I feel like that. It had nothing to do with consuming natural resources. Yeah, but it did yeah. have to do. It did have to do with with uh, rampant industrialization and the what it does to what it does to the indigenous life. Indigen- what it can yeah, do, sure, species, and the, and yeah. being co- cognizant of that, I think it it certainly is addressing that. You know what I mean? Being cognizant of the fact that there's you know, indigenous life forms that we may not know about and that we should consider that because who the fuck are we? You know what I mean? Like, that, and and who's to say there isn't a way to, to you know, have the, the progress, right, that we need or whatever and still be respectful to other life forms? And, well, I, and I think that, again, it's ahead of its time asking those kind of questions and yet not shoving it down our throat. Like, I think it's, yeah. like, it does it like, in such a great how way. Many, how many environmental shows are you seeing in the city? You know, like it's 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 sort yeah, of yeah. You're really uh, not. Episode one twenty eight. Oh, this is fun because of who's in it. Original air date March twenty third, nineteen sixty seven. Written by Gene L. Coon, directed by John Newland. The name of the episode is "Errand of Mercy." Sent to establish an alliance with a peaceful, unsophisticated planet Organia, which is located strategically. 
directly between the Federation and the Klingon Empire, Kirk is disgusted to find the inhabitants apathetic to the presence of Klingons on their world. Now, before we get into what a terrible episode of Star Trek, great TV, but terrible Star Trek, great TV. Why but, is it terrible Star Trek? How the fuck is that terrible Star Trek? I guess it goes against the spirit of all of Star Trek if it's the episode I remember. Because um, it's like the opposite of the Prime Directive. Um, but I I have to call out John Colicos as Core, who shows up as Core on Deep Space Nine. Um, and we love Core. Because <laughs> uh, he's not Koloth, but he's Core. And... and <laughs> And he is on Deep Space Nine. And so I like John Colicos, so hi, John Colicos for core. Um, although I think he's dead now. Um, maybe he's not. If he's not dead, then I feel really bad. Yeah, um, what the fuck, dude? I think two of them are. I think they might all be, but I think... Anyway. Um, is this the episode where Kirk arms the other side? Where Kirk arms, like, the inhabitants to fight the Klingons? No. This isn't that episode? No. Where he encourages them to fight? No. 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 This is okay. the episode where basically they go down and he's like, listen, the Klingons are coming and we want to help you. Okay? And the Organians are like, we don't see any need for that. He's like, okay, maybe you're not understanding me. The Klingons are coming. Oh, so and they aren't going to be nice like I am. So this is They're the episode come with where, weapons. Where, where Kirk arms one side of a battle. No. That's a different episode. Yes. Right, so then this episode's great. Sorry, guys. I am a shitty Star Trek fan is what it comes to. Because <laughs> uh, I didn't watch this one before we talked about it. Um, so I'm just going to be quiet and let you talk now. Cause I, <laughs> I mean, I think you'd remember it if, like, you, you know, listen. John Comicos is core. I talked <laughs> about Deep Space Nine, about something I do know about. You did. There you go. <laughs> Yikes. Go um, ahead. You're just, anyway, yeah. they... Sounds like a great episode. <laughs> it is a great episode. That's really good. Because basically, the Organians like say, "No, thank you, Federation. We don't need your help. We don't. We don't. We abhor violence, and we want nothing to do with it." And Kirk is like, "Fucking retards!" Like, I can't. Sorry, that's that's really wrong. Like, so he's just like, "I can't believe you are being so thick right now. Like, you have no idea." Because they apparently, like, to all appearances, have no way of defending themselves. Like, they are without weaponry, or, any, like, they're such a peaceful culture, they ain't got shit. So he's like, um, okay, well, you're dumb, but I guess I'll go. Um, fuck. And he sort of gets trapped on their world because the Klingons show up. And so the Organians help him to hide because they abhor violence and they won't have it. Like, they won't have them hurting each other, Right. So, but he take, they take away, like, his weapons, and the Klingons show up, and they basically set up camp, and they're like, all right, you're part of the Klingon, you know, empire now, and just deal with it, and, like, there's Kirk hiding amongst them, but he's got sort of this, this look in his eye, right? And the Klingon, you know, the head Klingon guy is like, I only want to talk to this guy, because fuck the rest of you. You fucking weak and, you know, weak and useless pieces of, sh you know, your sheep. Like, he just doesn't like them, obviously. And here's Kirk, who's, like, pretending to be one of them, but, like, he can't stop being, like, fucking Klingons and, like, being, you know, rebellious because they're fucking Klingons. And so, basically, it keeps escalating, and they start, you know, 
I guess Kirk and Spock are down there, and they basically like try to blow up some of the Klingons' munitions and stuff like that, and start causing trouble. And the Organians are like, "What are you doing? We, you can't do this. We can't let you guys do this. We can't let you harm yourselves." So eventually, the, the Organians, like you find out by the end of the episode, they're actually like super, super evolved, and like what each of them has been seeing has been some representation that they have thought that they would be more comfortable with. But they're actually really, like, evolved beings, and so they, like, take away everybody's weapons, and they're like, you guys well, have to leave. If they like, had you're not, making us bad with all of your wariness, and you just if, have to. If they had not been that, I think Kirk would have been wrong. Again, it's so Kirky. It's a Kirk decision. <laughs> but like, Why Kirk's would he have been wrong? Because he's like, hey, people who aren't humans, I think you should do this thing. And they're like, we don't want to. And he's like, no, you have to. And they're like, well, we don't want to. <laughs> like, no, it's better for you if you do this thing. And they're like, we don't want to. And then he's like, fine, fuck it. I'm going to make you. I'm going to cause this trouble for you to make this happen. They're like, we don't want to. Don't do this. And he's like, I'm going to. They're like, fine, you got to go. You got to go. You're a rabble rouser. You got to go. Goodbye. Um, I think that it is, it is, like, Kirk should be court-martialed for this. Like, this is okay. ultimate, ultimately, at least in Picard-era Trek, like, if a, if a society yeah, Picard would never do this. That's if, true. If a society decides we're going to destroy itself, Picard's like, okay, well, look, dude, it's your choice. Like, it's not That's, my place. Yeah, it's, it's not, not my place. place. If, if you like, want to, I guess you better. Yeah, you can, I mean, I prefer you don't. Like, especially if you're warp capable, I prefer you don't. But, like, you know, it's your, it's your, yeah. it's your, you are the master of your destiny. That's yeah. the prime directive, is we can't show up and be the master of your destiny. Yeah. Like, you do what you're going to do. Um, and Kirk, like, goes as far as to not just interfere but try to precipitate a difference and luckily it turned out that they were okay but I don't want to talk about this episode anymore because the next episode is considered by many to be the greatest um, episode of Star ever. Trek ever Yeah. episode 129 aired April 6, 1967 written by Harlan Ellison directed by Joseph Pevney I just have to read the cast list before I tell you the name of the episode <laughs> Everybody will know what episode it is. <laughs> Joan Collins is Sister Edith Keeler. John Harmon is Rodent. Uh, just because I love the last one of these. Hal Baylor is Policeman. David L. Ross is Lieutenant Galloway. John Winston is Lieutenant Kyle. Bart LaRue is Guardian Voice. And Adolf Hitler is Adolf Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Which I is great. That. That's fucking awesome. Adolf Hitler. <laughs> as, Adolf. as Adolf Hitler. I mean, because let's be honest, who else can play Adolf but Adolf? I mean, well, really. lots of guys. Yeah, but, but but who does it justice? Who's your favorite Everybody. Adolf Hitler? Adolf. Who do you like? Who do you like? <laughs> I I like um uh, I like the Adolf Hitler from from the rap battles of history. <laughs> uh, yes, that's a pretty great. Because you should see you if you don't know what that is, go on YouTube as oh soon as God. we're done yeah. and look up rap, epic rap battles of history. Just, it's Adolf like, Hitler versus Darth Vader, Darth and Vader, they do it right? twice. They Darth it Vader twice. totally wins both times, though. Um, but Adolf Sorry, Hitler holds his own. I gotta give it to him. He does, yeah. No, he doesn't go without a fight. <laughs> um, and uh, I also enjoy the uh, the Adolf Hitler from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, um, oh, where where they're doing the book burning and he grabs the diary and, and he like signs it. He signs yeah. it like an autograph. Yes. <laughs> Spoiler alert for a movie that came out in 1989. <laughs> <laughs> 
Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. For Indiana Jones. For Indiana Jones last. Spoiler alert for Indiana Jones 4. Shia LaBeouf swings on a rope and yells like Tarzan. And Um, that movie is poopy. I wish somebody would, like, diss that movie in their movie. Um, Wait. (laughs) Wait. Wait, huh? Um. And then it, of course, it's City on the Edge of Forever. Of an accident, an accidental drug overdose sends Dr. McCoy on a disastrous trip through the time portal where he changes the course of Earth's history. Kirk and Spock pursue him into the past where Kirk falls in love with a social worker whose life plays a pivotal role in the events McCoy will affect. Now, I would just, I, it's a great episode. I want to talk about how great it is, but Kirk's an idiot in this episode. It's like... What? He's like, I've never heard of time travel and what could happen, and I'm just in love, and and lovey dovey dove, and I fell you know, in love. I fell in love in one day, and listen, and, it's Joe Collins, man. I know, and she's so How nice. Do you not fall in love in one day. Come on, because she's an asshole in every. <laughs> she's an asshole in everything else, but in this, she's really nice. It was over the course of several. It was over. They were they were there for like uh, like I think several. Yeah, he had like build a radio out of like shit from 1960 whatever, or 1940 even whatever. I think it was yeah because it was before. I yeah. do like yeah. I do like that again on DS9 that the the Office of Temporal Affairs calls him out for being a menace. <laughs> for, yes, uh, James yes, Kirk. He was a menace. He was a menace. Just, <laughs> like they would too. Like that's the best thing about it. Like that's totally believable. Because like killer must die. Yeah, um, it's fucked up. It's so fucked um, up. It is. It is one of those episodes that holds up. Yeah, the sets look a little cheap. I can get past all of it. I can get past all of it. It. Um, you know the original series I like, and I'll go, oh, it's good, and I enjoy this. It's all Star Trekky, but I got to get past it. This episode gets me. It gets yeah. me at the end. Um, uh, and it's uh, it's a hopeless episode, isn't it? Isn't it just a, an episode devoid of hope? It's just kind of like your fate is your fate, and what happens to you is is what has to happen. I mean, um, it's dark. I mean, it's yeah, dark. it's pretty yeah. dark. It's pretty dark. I think I think what's so interesting about it. Is that is the idea that the reason Edith Keeler has to die is because she has the right ideas, but at the wrong time. Like, think about that. Like, that's so heavy and like fucked up. You know what I mean? Because it's like it's not even that she was some bad person or that she was wrong. She was absolutely right, but being right at a, a crucially incorrect time made all the difference. I think it's in in a much less dramatic way, and people hate the DS9 Mirror Universe episodes. I really like them. Um, I like that they say that the entire Mirror Universe as appears in DS9 is because the humans fell because Spock decided to be nice. Um, Mm. It's sort of a a forward look at the same concept, right? It's sort of a, you know, Kirk meets evil Spock, says, don't be evil. Evil Spock's like, okay, you flash forward 100 years and everything's gone to shit because it's a tough universe and the humans are now slaves. And he's one person, so he couldn't change everything. But he did. No, he he did change everything. He made it so the policies... He changed enough that they wound up on the losing end, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't change the whole universe. But it was that that thing is what changed you. Like if Spock had been, you know, more evil, 
humans would have not been tortured and killed and murdered. Like it, right. it would have been a different. It got it got worse. And I just think it's interesting seeing it played forward. But I mean, I think this episode—that's all you know—that's me wanting to re, you know relate everything to DS9 because I love DS9. But <laughs> this episode stands on its own. Um, I am I'm open about the fact that the original series is is not my favorite one to watch. It's not my second favorite one. It's not my third favorite probably to watch. I'd probably watch Voyager over the original <gasps> series. What is wrong with you? Like, it's hard I for me. Honestly, wonder sometimes. It's like watching like, old movies. It's like watching old movies. I can appreciate. But they're good. It. I can appreciate it more than I can enjoy it. There are exceptions to that rule. Despite all of that, despite my inability to to have imagination, as you would say, um, <laughs> this episode, um, this episode is an exception to all of that. This episode ranks up there with the Inner Light, with the Visitor, um, with the best of the best of all of Trek. And I don't think it's the best episode of Trek. It's top five. It's top five. It's not the best. Ep- What's the best episode? The Inner Light. The Inner Light is, in my opinion, the best episode of Trek, and the and the Visitor is second. Do you even remember those episodes? No. The Inner Light is the episode where Picard is knocked unconscious by a satellite and lives an entire lifetime, um, and then becomes an old man and then wakes That's up. That's a good yeah. episode. The Visitor is the episode where Jake Sisko watches uh, Captain Sisko disappear and goes through his entire life. So basically, um, you just like things where people live their whole life and then come back. You know, it's they they're very. They're they're similar episodes, so I'll I'll give that to you. Yeah, no, I I, but I'm a sucker for it because it's 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 those make me cry. So does this one. This one makes me cry. This one makes you know? me cry every time. Yeah, you know, this one makes like, me. Cry. I know exactly what's gonna happen. I even know a lot of the lines, and it makes the performances. Me cry are the per, you know, and I gotta give it to Shatner, who I think he never phones it in, but I don't think he always finds the internal truth of what he's doing. Sometimes he's just performing. That's not true in this episode. I would say that the two best performances I've ever seen Shatner give in terms of nuanced acting is this episode and the moment where David dies in Star Trek Three. Is is those two those two moments? Are his shining are mo- moments. I think that he is never better. These are this is the as far as performance goes the best of the best. Oh yeah, I mean the look on his face when he's stopping Bones from saving her, and he's like, "What are you doing?" You know, <laughs> and then just like, "Oh man." So and and let me and let me say this while I say it's not the best and maybe it's number five in my top five, I am saying that this episode is better than all of Next Gen and all of DS9, which you know I love. I do. Um, and all of the movies, with the exception of two or three, you know, mm-hmm. like that's like that's it's for for an original series episode to get there for me, I can rewatch this episode and I have it is great, it is. Excellent. Whether or not you think it should be number one or number five, clearly, when there have been a thousand something episodes of Trek, it deserves the, its top one percent, without a yeah. doubt. Yeah. Um, let's move on to because they're just all amazing. They like are. you go from that and you're like, the next episode, it can't be any good, and what you get is Operation Annihilate. Uh, oh, I did. I did it wrong. I broke the format. Sorry. Episode one thirty, directed by. Uh, Alexander Courage, written by Stephen W. Uh, Carbastos. Um, did Alexander Courage? Did he write the theme music? I think so. He directed an episode. Weird. Um, Operation Annihilate. Kirk's brother's family is devastated by an interplanetary crisis of mass insanity, and Spock is attacked by one of the creatures, which caused the crisis. McCoy must find a way to kill the aliens without destroying their host before the creatures can take over the galaxy. Um, it's fun. 
It's a great fucking episode, man. It's so scary. It's like, so different than the episode that came before it. Yeah, like it's 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 definitely like the one before it is such an emotional fucking train wreck of a ride, and this one is definitely this is scary. This is the scare like this is the fear of deep space. You know, like the the fucking call they get like they fucking they get there. It starts with them arriving, and this guy is going into the sun, and they're like. Stop! What are you doing? Like, can we save him? Like, they're trying to basically stop this guy from killing himself. And right before it, ha right before he dies, right before he like blows up on the sun, he's like, "I'm free! I'm free!" And then he dies, and you're like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. Like, holy shit, dude! What the fuck is going on? Can and I use this episode to point out a problem that I have with Star Trek 2009? Ready? I'm just gonna okay. say one line, and you'll know what I mean. Okay. Hey, Johnny! That's my problem. When he's driving okay. by in the big red car. Hey, Johnny! Because you know what the line was as recorded? Hmm. Hey, Peter! It was his brother. The kid he passes in the car is supposed it's to be supposed his older to be his brother. brother. And they changed it to Johnny for Why? reasons I don't understand. I don't I mean, get it. Yeah, it would have been better if it had been his brother. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, it just bothers me. Kirk had his brother. Where's his brother? Yeah. Like, where's his brother? Where's in his all brother of... in all of this? Yeah. Like, like, cause his brother wouldn't be dead, right? Right. Why would he be dead? He's holy. His older brother. And where was his brother when they were on that ship? Mm-hmm. Was it back at home? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? I guess maybe they want us to believe he died on the ship then. I guess. I don't Seems know. Seems odd though that they would get her there to have the baby, but they'd like leave his son behind. Well, yeah, I, or or that they'd be joking like like Tiberius, that's oh, terrible. Oh, this is, my son's dead. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. Like, like sorry, not. Thor. Sorry, Thor. No, Thor, you have to be upset about this, Thor. Um, <laughs> Thor Kirk. It wouldn't be great if his dad's name was Thor. <laughs> Thor Kirk. Thor Kirk. What if they got his brother to be the guy from the Hunger Hunger Games? Liam's Hem okay. Liam Liam Hemsworth as his as Kirk's brother, I think it'd be pretty great. Um, it's but anyway, I, this is a I, great episode for a number of reasons because it's frightening. Because, because it's his brother. Because it's his brother, and he basically you got this is the part where I do understand what you're saying about the sort of episodic TV and the fact that we never hear about it ever again. Like his brother is already dead when they get there. They get his. Um, his sister-in-law and his and his nephew, and his sister-in-law dies trying to tell them what's going on. The the thing that is infected or kills her. So his nephew is all that he has left. But like after this episode, you never no. ever hear about never his happened. nephew ever ever again. Yeah, no, it bugs me. I mean, it's, um, it's so I do understand what you mean when it comes to that because he's so. Like, he's so emotional about this because it killed his brother and it killed his brother's wife. And, like, his nephew, you know what I mean, is dying. Like, he's really emotional about this. Like, it's not just some colony. And that makes all the difference. Like, it makes it so much more personal. And then when, when one of them gets Spock, um, and they finally... Like, the thing that I remember that really... I mean, it's a great episode, but a moment that just sticks out for me is when... They think they find the cure, and Spock, you know, basically 
is like, I volunteer because we need to do a trial on a you know someone who's infected. And he comes out, and they basically use like really bright light. Um, that's what they finally find out is the Achilles heel of these these evil things. And he's free, but he's also blind. And you're like, what? Like, because they didn't kill him, right? Like, you, you're clear that, like, we don't kill, you know, Spock or Bones or, or Kirk, yeah. right? But, like, this is something you don't, like, you've never seen before and you don't fucking see coming and you don't expect. And he's like, I'm also quite blind. I mean, it, it's a good trade, though. Like, you're like, what? He's What are we going to Fuck! And then they kind of deal with that, where it's like, what are we going to do with Spock? Like, he can't be a second officer anymore. Like, it's just, and then they find out, ultimately, like, that they didn't need to throw the bright light at him that blinded him. They only needed to throw a certain spectrum that, like, would have been fine. And you're like, really? Where the fuck were you, Nurse Chapel? Where were you with the fucking specimens? Like, you had to wait till Spock was blinded? You guys couldn't wait five fucking minutes? And she climbs into the computer and speaks for it forever after that. <laughs> It's really sad, really, if you think about it, that she gets stuck in there. Um, and then a clone of her comes out and gives terrible performances in the next generation. Um, no, I, I love her as Lux Out of Troy. You shut your mouth. About half the time. Some of it is great. Always. And some of it's not always. always. I can't no. say always. No. You're fucking um, ridiculous. That is the end of the first season of the original series of Star Trek. That is it. Um, so, Yeah! Yeah, see, it's awesome. It's so good. All of it is so good. There was like one episode in there that was like meh. You know, it's, you know I, I, I'll, I'll give it to this. Listen, I, I, you know, again, it's not my favorite. It's not my Star Trek. It's not the Star Trek that I grew up on, and it's hard for me to get past the fact that it's sixties. But let me say this: I can't name any other sixties show outside of occasionally watching like the Twilight Zone that I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Um, it is, you know. I mean, that's entire. That's an entire era. Like, I guess maybe Bewitched was in there too. You know, yeah. but like, you know, but like in terms of shows, Bewitched is gone. It's a footnote, man. It's yeah. gone. Like, like, like Star Trek perseveres. It is the only show that people still watch. Because like it's the Andrew, awesome. The Andrew Griffith Show, but that's like because it's on at five in the morning. You're like, fuck. I guess I'll just watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's on. Okay. You know, flip around. Uh, I've seen that episode of Chopped. Have you seen Chopped? No. Chopped is amazing. It's a cooking game show. I'm good. I, I was so <laughs> surprised by it. No, it's so the whole concept of Chopped is that they're they're like there's three courses they have just it's a cool idea. There are four chefs and they each get a mystery basket and in the basket it's like bizarre shit. So like, okay, here comes your appetizer. You have to use soy sauce, cocoa, arugula, and rattlesnake. You have 20 minutes starting now. Go. And they, like, these amateur chefs or, like, aspiring professional chefs have to, like, come up with their thing and they cook and they have a whole pantry open to them of whatever else they want to add and then they give it to, like, these judges and they, the first time, they always fuck it up. Like, the first time, they're always like, I forgot to put it on a plate because they're not used to having a timer. So you see them scramble in the last five seconds going, ah! And then they, like, give it to the, the judges and they go, okay, one of them, you're gone. You're chopped. And then they do a, a main course, and they're always a little better, and they try and do a good job, but they always, like, overreach. And then they chop another one, and then dessert is, like, the two finalists, and then one stays. And they cook this whole meal, 
and it's fun. You watch them scramble, but it's always just like, like ostrich egg, and like they have to make they take these things that seem like they wouldn't be appetizing. By the time they're done, they're like, ooh, that looks a little bit good. That looks a little uh, bit good. Like how they how do I, they do that? I guess like, I, I just don't I don't do reality TV of any sort. I don't really. either. That's the thing. Care. I don't. A friend of mine is on Cake Boss um, from high school, which was weird because I was at work and it was on. I was like, oh, I know her. I went to high school. What is she doing on television? Um, I think that happened to Daryl too. Some really? His was a on friend of his is on Cake Boss. No, she was on some kick, some cooking show like that though, like some reality cooking show she was on. Yeah. I think. Um. But uh. But like, like the. I was surprised that I wanted to not like it. I was like, "Oh, this is bullshit." And yet, after the person was first person was chopped, and like one guy like had cancer, and wanted to another guy like was a single dad and like wanted I just to. Can't, win the, that's the part I can't stand. It's the whole the dramatized like it feels like like when you watch sporting events. Yeah. Like, I can't watch sporting events. I hate the sound. Like I actually don't necessarily mind sports, but I mind like they go to like the third baseman or like some random outfielder or like you know they're like and his father died 6 years ago and it was really emotional for him his dog it's for this game this game he's playing for his dog his dog that had cancer when he was 12 this dog who got so cancer much. from his father which it's is like, not even communicable i don't right? really know just, how that works really I mean, i don't really know how that works but like he's had I mean, so I, much death in his life first his I mean, dog then his dad i mean now i'm his no doctor wife has a cold <laughs> like he's just really been through so much like, i just, i can't, I can't. I I don't know if any of that's really true, but he just has a really angry face, so I'm assuming. <laughs> but I'm assuming he has a lot of, a I mean, lot of personal I mean, problems going on. He also out. might need, it might just be a fiber thing, you know, I'm not really sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. To, anyway, to the second baseman, um, who has <laughs> a hangnail. His wife left him, and now he's got a girlfriend, he doesn't know what to do, the bitch like, gave him a rabbit, yeah. killed it or something, I don't yeah, know, ran, it was very... He ran over, ran over his wife with a car, that's also <laughs> not true, I can't verify any of these facts. I can't facts. verify any of this stuff. False baseball. It would be the greatest show ever. Like, put on a baseball game and just completely make up stuff about the Well, that's, I've always wanted to do a skit like that because I've always felt this way about sporting events or, like, the Olympics. The Olympics are really, really bad about it. And, yeah, I like the, yeah. I like watching them. They give me peace. I, I they just go ridiculous. That's what I'm saying. like. So I've I always like wanted to get like foot like the footage, like get somebody to do a skit with me, and like just do the commentary and just make up wild story after wild story for each person because Ooh, that's how it feels. She only scored an eight point three. That's going to be bad for her when she gets back to Russia. They're probably going to kill her. They She's are. Here. In she... fact, her family is already being held in a compound where they keep the Russian families. Yeah. And I believe they've already been torturing her younger sister in oh. order to get this performance from her. And 8.3, that's going to mean... not going to do gonna it. Be... That's gonna, nope. She's going to lose her pinky. That's yeah, what's going to no. happen. Sorry, little Nadia. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Tatiana. It's Sorry, not going to go your well today. <laughs> it's not going to go your way. Oh, no. It's your terrible. Sister lost your pinky. That Russia's not like that. I'm <laughs> sure that they're happy. I'm sure they're fine. I'm sure they're fine in Russia. Why did we pick on Russia? I don't know, because it, cause it's fun. They're so fast. They're always Russian. Because they're always Russian and winning things. Oh, and we don't like it. <laughs> that's a joke that no one's ever told. Uh <laughs> Season one original series director. Look, I will say people, you know, we can debate. You know, we all know they're both better than season three. Um, season one versus season two is something we'll have to hit another time. Um, yeah. But granted, this is what started it all. If this had sucked, or if this had been lost in space, 
you know, which was fine. Yeah, but you know? it wasn't this. It wasn't this you level. Know, if, you know, we would not be here today. We would not have 12 movies. We would not mm -hmm. have five series, you know, and an animated series. And, and yep. they, they just, it wouldn't hold up. So whether or not you're like me and you feel like, I just can't watch it. You gotta understand. Either you're like LXC and you're liking the product, or you gotta be like me and go. You know what? I'm not sure that I like the product, but I see the groundwork laid. Like it's everything before the season aired. Nothing was there. It wasn't there. And now after the first season, everything that comes forever since, like like rests on on that foundation. And for that reason alone, despite the fact that I I can also say there are probably six or seven hours of television in there that I love, um, I can say the rest of the 23 hours of, of television, which I appreciate, um, it lays the groundwork for everything awesome, else. Though. You're just wrong about it just being not... Like, I don't understand. It's like, when we were... When I went back to... Um, I don't think to it's... visit the I don't set think of, of, of the Farragut, I met, I met a girl there who had just started watching Star Trek. And she was in love with the original series to the point where she didn't want to watch anything else. Huh. And that's and she just started. Like this isn't somebody who was like me and grew up on it. You know, like it's just it's that powerful. It really is. Like nope. unless you're Justin and you have something wrong in your brain, like it just is that powerful. Hey, can I can I um real quick um I don't want to give shout outs to everybody because then I'll forget to give shout outs to some people. Um, but I do want to say that uh. I got a message from the Star Trek Phase 2 people. Um, oh. And some of them like us. Oh, that's great. Some of them are listeners. Yay! So, hey, guys. Cool. Thank you. That's cool. We're yeah. fans of you. Um, and and thank you. That's awesome. Uh, we got to get Paul Sieber on sometime soon, man. We haven't <laughs> checked in with Paul in a little while. It's been a while, yeah. There, there are a few people we got to get on. Um, hey, I know. If, Listen, if you're like, man, oh, the episode's ending and I want more Daryl and Alexia, listen, I'm going to encourage you to go over to the Delta Quadrant podcast um, <laughs> because sometime this week or next week, probably by the time I post this, they'll post theirs, um, we're on their show. We are. It's practically an episode of Trek Off. Just be forewarned. We're not very crass. But we're fun. We're Except funny. for me, because I can't What's stop. She, she bleeps you at the beginning. <laughs> that's um, so great. Uh, <laughs> and I but, think that's the right way to go. It's so much better to bleep than to cut. <laughs> um, but, like, like hello to those guys. And go yeah. over and check them out and tell them that, that you checked them out because we told you to. Um, yeah. um, and, uh, listen, give us a like on iTunes. Listen, you get to this point of the episode and you're about, okay, it sounds like they're done. Let me tell you, all you got to do is go on your iTunes account if that's how you got it and give us five stars. Or give it like just write a review. That's amazing. Just go. I love yeah. this show. It's all you got to do, and it's really really helpful to us. Uh, if you want to go beyond that, doing that, go to our Facebook page. Like 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 go to our Facebook page and like us. Mr. A is on there all the time. He's checking stuff out. I'm checking stuff out. Alexia is on there all the time checking stuff out. You can go to Geeks Radio. There's not a lot else happening there right now, because um, all the other shows are in hiatus, and we'll eventually get to them. Uh, but uh, we're always there for you. But we're there for you. We're oh, there for yeah. you. Um, I go to trekoffmovie.com. Um, can I give a quick update on that? Um, we have I've pretty much um, as as Mr. A and Alexia knows, um, I have been in the quagmire of some other stuff uh, related yeah. to getting ninjas out. Um, and so it's kind of put the editing of of Trekoff um, on the back burner. Um, but that but it is, is still going to happen. Like fret like not. we've got tons of footage. Um, yeah. If there's a con you think we should attend, let us know, um, and we'll try awesome and get con. there. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, working on it. 
contacted them, need to fill out a form. Awesome. Um, uh, con. Awesome. Uh, We'll see, though. They, they, they've indicated that they're a little more organized, so we got to try and get in under the radar. But we'll try. Uh, let them know if you want to hear from it. <laughs> yeah, like, let them seriously. know. If you, if you, you, you want to be a super it. fan, just let everyone know how great Trekoff is. Share, yeah. iTunes <laughs> review, blah, blah, blah. My name is Jeff. And my name is Alexia. Trekoff. Trekoff, it is. You are listening to the Geeks Radio Internet Radio Network at geeksradio.com, home of Trek Off, the not-safe-for-work Star Trek podcast, Pop Off, where we geek out on comics, movies, and TV shows that are the superstars of geek culture, Podcast Who, the Doctor Who podcast with Phil Stamper, Ninjas vs. You, the official podcast of the Ninjas vs. Trilogy, and Garrett and RJ Go Hollywood, two regular guys trying to make it in Tinseltown. All of this is available for you for free by going to Geeks radio.com or searching geeks radio on itunes geeks radio is a presentation of endlight entertainment